0: Chanted Ears podcast
1: where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela and I'm Joe. Uh, Welcome back another episode of your favorite podcast that finally and when I say finally I mean finally after weeks of trying got Tokyo Disney tickets. (laughs) If you live in America it is extremely difficult to purchase Tokyo Disney tickets.
0: Let me tell you if Joe struggled with it it's really hard to do
1: yes and it all has to do with all of their like security features trying to play with pay with a credit card we will get into it when we d- kind of discuss and, and do a recap of our trip in a, in a few months when we're there but it did it, it took me like weeks of trying I tried multiple credit cards it was a whole ordeal I finally got it to work we could have just purchased them there but I didn't want to run the risk of them being like sold out or something so I wanted to have them ahead of time finally got them. Very happy about it. I can sleep well tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one piece of Disney news, kind of keeping it with the international theme. So, talking about Shanghai Disneyland, which is Disney's newest park. Bob Iger was doing a recent interview. I do not. I did not write down the news outlet he was doing the interview with, but he mentioned that they may be looking at a second park. For Shanghai. Whoa. And, you know, that with the success of Endgame and everything, you know, there's a lot of talk about Marvel. And they're building Marvel lands in Disney California Adventure and Disneyland Paris and things. And he mentioned, you know, we're looking at another park in Shanghai and kind of insinuated that they may be looking at like a Marvel themed park. Wow. Because he said, you know, I, I would love to see what the Imagineers could do if they had a whole park to deal with, as opposed to like shoehorning it in mm-hmm. to an existing park. So that, you know, so that's, it's kind of a little bit of a rumor, you know, he's, he's hinting at it, but we may be seeing an expansion in Shanghai that has a huge Marvel presence. That's kind of wow. the first place built specifically from the ground up with Marvel. That in makes mind. sense.
0: I mean, there are over 20 movies now, right? So it would be, it's such a amazing body of work to work from and to use. Well, definitely.
1: Definitely. Yes. The 22 movies and Endgame is the largest foreign film in China. The largest grossing foreign film. I want to say it's made $600 million in China alone, which is impressive because if you count North America, it, it just passed Avatar this weekend domestically. So it's at 770 plus million to have China then have six hundred million is pretty impressive. So Marvel has, has a huge presence in China. And as you said, there's a ton of movies to pull from. They're pushing Marvel throughout all of the parks. So it makes a lot of sense. But but that would be really neat to see, you know, kind of a Marvel themed park.
0: That would have maybe. to definitely add another uh, yeah, we'd have location to, to a place that we need to exactly, go. You we, know,
1: we would have to go to Shanghai then.
0: <laughs> so no, we've heard it's pretty good there already, right? That's the one that has the super nice Pirates of the Caribbean. Is yes,
1: it? yes, because it's brand new, so it's like state of the art everything over there. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you added this and made it more of a resort, I, I think, you know, it just makes sense that it would be going well. So this week we're gonna kind of get back to our Disney decade.
0: Yeah, Disney decade. So we've already done the twenties. That yes. was oh man, that, that know, was several f- episodes ago. Uh, that was a few
1: months ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you could go back and, and listen to that, where. We started with the start of the Disney company, so in the 1920s, and then we take it a decade at a time. So this is our second installment of, how many would that be? 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, Seven. 70s, 80s, 90s, t- 2000s, today, uh, 10, 10 episodes, part 10 part series total. There I you don't go. know,
0: for how long it's going to take us, it's going it to have to part, start. Yeah. It might be
1: 11 part series. That was live counting for you there, so... <laughs>
0: Really exciting there. It was behind the scenes. That was
1: behind the scenes that was riveting audio. I know it was. I was counting on my fingers too. That was the best part. All right. So this is our second Isn't
0: that what accountants do?
1: It is indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can't anything past ten is we start struggling. Well, it was ten. No, but I'm saying once you run out of fingers, we start struggling with counting. So all right. So we're this is our second part. We're gonna go into the nineteen thirties. And this was a pretty big decade it for was. the Disney Company.
0: It was. um There's definitely one, and I'll get into this, but there's one prevailing event that happened in the 1930s that sort of almost—I don't know—it it completely takes over the entire decade, and most of the time, that whole decade wants to talk about this one event. But I was—I managed to find some other things. So 1930, the year is 1930. And the first Mickey Mouse book came out. Then uh, there's not actually a lot of information about this Mickey Mouse book, and they call it just the Mickey Mouse book. It's not a hardcover. I think it must have been a floppy.
1: So it was it? It was like a novel, not like a comic. I guess like kind of little, like a comic book. Like a little books, kids I think. book,
0: I think. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think like it was a, a little book.
0: kids book, like a children's book. But even if you look online to try to buy the first Mickey Mouse book, they actually have a different book, which I'll get into.
1: Right. So, so the 1920s kind of ended with. Mickey Mouse. The creation of Mickey Mouse, the first Mickey Mouse movies kind of taking off with sound and everything. And we talked about
0: the Silly Symphonies as well.
1: Exactly. So and those it,
0: were really big for Walt and Disney in general uh, and it put them on the map.
1: Right. And it, so it kind of makes sense that as you roll into the 30s basically Disney has one ace in the hole right now and it's Mickey Mouse so that they yeah. are pushing Mickey as much as they can. So just now like how Disney has merchandise everything that, you know, it kind of started, well, it started back then well, right. when I started doing books and novelizations. Well, my next
0: point, besides the fact they have a newspaper comic strip that was also published and in the comics so the first week I read the full first week of, um, of the comic series, but it was, it was based on plain crazy, the cartoon and it's. Mickey's inspired by Charles Lindbergh. So he is trying to build a plane from basically scraps around a farm. And he makes several comments about wanting to be just like Lindy. Great
1: wordplay there. Plane crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he's trying to do all these things and and create all of this, uh, you know, create a a plane out of nothing. There's an interesting character in there who I haven't seen before. Um, I can't remember what he called him, but his name was like weenie. I think his name was weenie. He was a wiener dog. So, I don't know. Early
1: okay. Not an, That's pretty good. Yeah. not original, but yeah,
0: we, Weenie was helping him get the plane up and started. But uh, so apparently Mickey had a dog before Pluto. But yeah, so this is a. It was a really cute little comic, and you can go through and find them. D twenty three actually has them on their website, so this is where I read it. Uh, and what you were saying was that Roy and Walt license Mickey related merch because hey, Walt needs money, so. I was gonna say it was the I 30s mean, was right when that was people wanted to put him on Mickey on a notepad.
1: Yeah, that's a common theme with early Disney. You know, now we think of Disney as this huge multinational, multi-billion-dollar corporation that has just prints money in everything they do now. But when it first started, and you know, we talked about in the 20s that that money was tight. I mean, that rolled into the 30s and the 40s and 50s as well. I mean, money was always a huge issue for the Disney company. It wasn't an issue for Walt because he didn't care about that kind of stuff. <laughs> he, he only cared about the quality of the work and whatever it took uh, is what he was willing to pay for it. And we'll kind of get into that later as we talk about Snow White, which which is kind of the big thing of this decade. Right. And, and Roy was always the money man. And it caused some contention because Walt would just want to spend, spend, spend. And Roy then had to figure out how to fund it. And... It was always touch and go, though. I mean, they they had huge successes with their movies with Mickey and the early animation, but it, it put a heavy financial strain on the company. It really wasn't until you know a few decades later when they finally got Disneyland and the theme parks and started into television that you know they finally kind of had enough money to keep things going, and then you know we are where we are today. But yeah, I mean, it, it was just it was so difficult going at first. They could have failed, I mean, multiple times. because
0: a lot of the things that they were doing, they were creating from scratch. So it wasn't like they had a lot to... They had some things to go on, but they had to develop the technology, which, of course, everyone knows, like all these startups, they have a really hard time getting off the ground because they are doing these innovative things by themselves.
1: You're right. That's actually a good point. I mean, Disney was essentially like a tech startup, I mean, back in the day. I mean, Walt pushed the medium in so many di- different ways he basically invented surround sound he invented the multiplane camera for animation so not only was he just animating which is labor intensive but he, he you're right he was creating new technologies that you know luckily they worked but they're very expensive to mm-hmm. get right and yeah. it, it was he, he was like a silicon valley startup before that was before that was a thing
0: so in addition to the merch in 1930 pluto aka at the time called rover so not weenie but rover first appears in the chain gang the uh cartoon so that was pretty much it for like the big highlights of the 30s 1931 uh this is when that hardback book came out this is the big one this is the one if you're a disney collector i when i was trying to find out more about what was in this this like the
1: holy grail of disney books okay yeah
0: i was trying really hard to find what was in this book and i really wasn't too able able to find much about the actual storyline but I found that like there was there's like a version there was a version called it was inscribed by Walt to Billy from Walt Disney and it was an early signature and it was selling it sold for some astronomical ungodly like forty six thousand dollars for a book oh that's not
1: that much i think you're gonna say like millions dollars
0: is a lot there's
1: baseball cards that sell for hundreds of thousands but anyway of dollars, there's so several of these and okay. for
0: the most part like they are multiple thousands of dollars for this, this so this one is one of book. those
1: things you fu- somebody found it at a garage sale for a dollar and it's a fifty thousand dollar disney book. Yeah, i say we one, start one of those selling
0: yep so that's my
1: retirement strategy <laughs> looking for <laughs> rare go. disney books for dollars at uh Gross sales and,
0: and estate sales. Yep.
1: The Enchanted Years podcast does not condone this investment advice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is how this is how we're going to actually be funded in the future. <laughs> so um, yeah. So the the Adventures of Mickey Mouse is the title, and it was published in 1931. It was Mickey's first hardback book, and his, as I I wrote my my own editorializing here, his legend grows. So he got, gets even more popular. And speaking of getting more popular, the mili- the membership. In we talked about this in our Mickey Mouse Club episode, but the membership in the Mickey Mouse Club in 1931 passes one million people. Okay. So those were the again some of these years are pretty sparse throughout. So that was pretty much it right. for
1: 1931. And then and then in the early 30s as well, I'm not. It was either like 31 or 32 is when Walt starts to get the idea for Snow White. So I, I believe uh, right around that time. And what's interesting is. Walt would act out the movies for the animators. So he he was a a pretty reserved person um from from what I've read, but he really would embody the characters when he would act this out. So it was around this time in the early 30s that he first acted out the story and he goes and he goes through it pretty much scene for scene doing all of the different characters, all of the dwarves, all of their parts to the animators and basically saying, this is the story I have for Snow White. This is what I want to do. And I mean, it's just incredible to think about that, though, that you know, he didn't necessarily you know, hand-draw everything, and he maybe wasn't necessarily you know, the, the greatest animator, but like to have that vision of a complete story and acting it out and, and kind of living every character six or seven years before the movie's finally released...
0: I mean, it shows you he had a vivid yeah, imagination and
1: just an incredible vision like it's pretty impressive you know nowadays like somebody comes up with an idea for a movie and in two years it's made but to like have that down and just be able to act it out like that it was just incredible
0: the, i was um talking to a co-worker a little little side little side note i was talking to a co-worker at work on friday because for a, a reward for the kids we watched the movie smallfoot um It actually watches. It was, I think, made by WB, but it watches like a Disney movie. It is a musical. It is really well done. I would highly recommend it if you have kids or if you're an adult who likes these kind of movies. But I figured out why I love kids movies so much, and it's the imagination and the way that they they can defy the laws of physics. Um, I mean, like, there's one scene where uh, the main character, the the yeti, he is walking across a bridge, and both sides snap and then he ends up with one rope that's connecting both sides and so he is holding onto the rope and then the rope breaks apart and so he's just holding it like his whole body is like a t and he's holding one rope in one hand and one in the other and he's trying to stay up so he tries to pull himself up by the two ropes and he pulls both sides of the stone in on him because yeah i've he's done so that. strong
1: i've done that before <laughs> that's not defying laws of physics that's happened to me once or twice i, I don't see how that's that fantastical but whatever
0: <laughs> that's basically how all of the marvel characters survived and in, in the movie when when the uh avengers house was destroyed <laughs> yeah, that's true <laughs> so anyway i just really enjoy the imagination that goes into those kinds of movies so i think that the fact that walt was able to do that so consistently is incredible so that's it for 1931 1932 we have another one of our big like Big Disney characters who emerges, and that is our friend Goofy, oh, okay. aka he has a few different names. So he was known as Dippy Dog and uh, D A W G. Snoop Dogg would approve, <laughs> uh, and George Geef. And so he first appears in Mickey's Review, okay, the cartoon. And then Walt also acquired exclusive use of the three strip Technicolor for cartoons, and he incorporated that use in his films. And then he hired. Yeah, just another
1: way he was like ahead of his time and, and pushed things. He wanted to have color, sound. I mean, just. Right. He wasn't satisfied with just a.
0: He was never satisfied
1: <laughs> with just a simple, you know, animated cartoon. Yeah. He, he wanted it to be the best it could be and, all the and time. And
0: what's evidence of that is he hired an. Honestly, I've, this is gonna make me sound super dumb. Choulinard Art Institute sounds like Juilliard, but
1: I would say are you sure it's not Juilliard.
0: No, it's C H O U I N A R D. Okay. But anyway, somebody's screaming. There's like seven people screaming at us right now. But um, screaming
1: at you, I yeah, I recuse myself of this.
0: <laughs> but yeah, he hired teachers from that institute to teach like to teach how to use this technology in studio. Okay. Okay. So, awesome so then eventually during this decade also the silly symphonies sort of did what the pixar movies or the pixar shorts are for today which they started to use those and treat those as
1: like a training yeah training ground
0: and a way to you know try new things so they made a the first full color cartoon called flowers and trees which was a silly symphony and it won the academy award for best cartoon in 1932 that was the first year the, the academy offered that category for the rest of that decade, listen, this is, this is mind blowing. For the rest of that decade, so the 1930s, starting in 1932, a Disney cartoon won the Oscar every year.
1: It must not, not a lot of competition. I mean, that's, it's impressive. Uh, it's impressive, but also at the same time, well, I mean, there wasn't Warner as much competition. Warner I believe,
0: was going at this time too. Yeah, But
1: again, I mean, it was very simple animation ta- compared to, is- compared to Disney, who was using synchronized sound, who was using color. You know, it's, I mean, it's literally color versus black and white. I mean, it's...
0: I'm it, wondering it, when WB... Because I think that this was right around the time, probably, again, this is me speaking and not knowing, um, but probably around the time that Tex Avery was, was becoming a big thing. Because I think I remember when we did that one episode about um, animation and stuff like that, that I think Tex Avery was coming right. coming to around this time. No,
1: but you're right. I mean, it, it's still it's an extremely impressive streak. To have that happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, hang on one second. So, that's it for 1932. 1933, we have The Three Little Pigs, which is the 36th, 36th Silly Symphony, and it's distributed with the original song who's afraid of the big bad wolf and the thing that i thought was really interesting about this was that it became a, a national hit and also became one of the anthems of the great depression so i guess people found like strength in the cartoon and they enjoyed it so it has a, a historical significance as well right so and then lillian disney gave birth to diane disney okay 1934
1: so yeah so this is the time so walt has started they adopted uh his other daughter as well, around Whoa. the same time.
0: 1936. That's the only thing that okay. happens that year. Right. So 1934, Donald Duck first appeared in the Little Wise Hen, which was an anim- animated short film. 35 out nothing. And 35- I think,
1: and I think we've talked about this with Donald Duck before too. That, you know, it's interesting that he's kind of one of the the last ones of kind of the you know the big six. You know, Mickey and Minnie were already around. Pluto was around. Goofy was around you know, that, that Donald's one of the later ones, but we've talked about this before, that they essentially created Donald because by this point, 19, what'd you say, 36? Or 34? Uh, 30. 34, I think you said. Uh, 34 for Donald 30, 34 for Donald Duck, that Mickey had grown in such huge popularity that they felt trapped, that they couldn't, you know, like, tarnish his name, and they, and they didn't want to do anything that was remotely questionable or kind of controversial at all that could have offended anybody um, because they wanted to keep him, you know, good nature for everybody. So they basically created, you know, Donald Duck who's a little bit more curmudgeony and it mm-hmm. has a little bit of a temper to him sometimes to be able to do some of those things and, and have some more interesting stories that they felt like they couldn't do with Mickey.
0: Exactly. And they, um, I was reading up about Donald Duck. It was one of the many, like, uh, the little wormholes I fell through whenever I was researching this. But Donald Duck, they, one of the animators, one of the people from Disney referred to him as like the bad, the bad, like you ever, every family has a, a bad family member. Who's like, doesn't follow rules and like the black sheep. And that's Donald duck. And that's also who I have hanging off of my mic. In 1937, Daisy, Huey, Dewey, and Louie ducks all first appear. Uh, the, the, the Donald Duck cartoon Sunday cartoon was where Huey Dewey and Louie came out, and then um, Daisy Duck appeared in Donal- Don Donald. So that was so you have the whole I think duck that was pretty family. Pretty much the whole yeah, the whole duck family. And I think that this is what going back to what you were saying about everyone kind of liking Donald. He was fun to work with because he's not always cheery and bright. So they created a whole mythos. He's the only Disney character with a middle name, I think, like because he has that. You know his middle name?
1: No. It's Do you?
0: Yeah, it's Fauntleroy.
1: Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I did. Yes.
0: Yeah. So he's the only Disney character with a middle name. He also has a I mean, he has a sister. Like not we don't know anything about if Mickey has I mean, Mickey's a mouse, he has to have siblings. I mean. Yeah,
1: you know. he, yeah, Mickey doesn't really have like a huge family. Or you know, like
0: a family. It's just right. Minnie. Yeah, it's just him and Minnie and Right. Perito, but so. Donald has like a whole mythos because I mean he has to have a sister because he has Huey Dewey and Louie. And his sister, I think her name's, I can't remember. He's a nemesis
1: with Scrooge, yeah, Scrooge McDuck and everything. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot, and like I said, it's you know they they really enjoyed using Donald because they put him in a lot of a lot of different situations.
0: The only other character that they've done that with is Goofy, because there's been a Goofy movie and he has a son. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a
1: lot with Goofy. So right, and and so and this whole time, you know as well, Walt is working on Snow White. So like we said, you know, in the early 30s, he kind of does the first presentation of it. And then, I mean, it takes him basically the rest of the 1930s to get this movie made.
0: And also, whenever he first proposed Snow White, a lot of the animators and people weren't really in favor of it. And because he was so animated with, you know, his performance, he was able to bring them over to his side. And it actually took three years for them to actually animate the whole film out
1: right well i mean it it took them a year or two just to kind of lock the story and the characters down and and this is another you know like situation of again walt driving for perfectionism Um, in, in his biography by neil gabler he even talks about that you know walt picked the animators for the individual characters based on their personalities so like if he picked you for happy, you were like the embodiment of happy. If you were grumpy, you were grumpy. Like that's what it said about your personality. Like he wanted oh the lead animators. <laughs> like he, that's how he saw them. And, and
0: how insulted would you be if you got picked for grumpy? Yeah,
1: I don't know. So, what about sneezy?
0: Or dopey. Yeah,
1: exactly. And
0: I, I mean, how is somebody sneezy? Like they just walk around uh, maybe just sneezing they a lot. all the time. I guess. They just have really bad allergies. I guess.
1: And, you know, he he wanted the animators, he wanted the highest quality animation, so they started doing training classes, and and he just poured so much money into this, and this is the point where, you know, he initially, when he told Roy about the idea, I think, you know, he told him, oh, it's going to be $250,000, or like something crazy, it ended up costing almost a million dollars in total, so, you know, four times over, but it was, because you know, they were taking so much time and he, and he paid the animators well. And and they gave them, you know, they started bonus pools for them and stuff because they wanted to incentivize them to finish quicker because it was taking so long. And, you know, at this point, like I was saying, you know, money was always tight. Roy basically had to mortgage the entire company. He had to basically leverage the success of Mickey and all the other characters to take out millions of dollars in loans in order to keep the studio funded because they were expanding they were building new buildings adding animators and everything in this effort and if it went south i mean they would have lost the whole company they you know they would have lost everything but again walt didn't care about that because he knew it was going to be great and it, it was always about the quality i mean there there's a little like anecdote of a story in his biography where they were pretty much done with the movie but there was an issue with like a, a shimmering effect on the prince and Walt wanted to reanimate the scene and it was going to cost like $300,000 like right at the end. And Roy said, no, it's, we can't do this. We're just pushing the movie out. But luckily the movie was a huge commercial success. They ended up going back and reanimating that scene because it made so much money. And it was ultimately the, uh, largest, uh, uh, it's like top-grossing animated movie at the time it did 6.7 million dollars in total receipts by 1939 and wow. you know and in today's dollars it's you know huge it's, it's one of the top 10 grossing movies,
0: $37 trillion, dollars.
1: not that much, but it's, it's one of the top, you know, adjusted for inflation, it's, it's one of the top 10 or 20 movies of all time, it brought a million dollars back to the studio, they were able to pay off all the loans and everything. And it started, you know, a lot of the merchandising and everything. And so it, it put them on decent financial footing for the time being. But then, you know, Walt even joked that whenever they met with the bankers to pay them back that Instead of just paying them back, he got them so excited about Pinocchio that they (laughs) offered to lend them even more money for the next one, and and you know the film distribution companies were giving them lines of credit and everything. So he can't he couldn't sit back on the success of that. He was immediately taking out more money and going bigger for the next movie after that. But I mean, it really is somewhat lucky that Snow White turned out to do as well as it did. Because again, if it didn't, it it could have ruined the whole company.
0: It's it's not. I mean. I just think it's that he was that much of a visionary. He knew this was something. And he knew that he had technology that nobody else had. Because also this is when the multi-plane camera that simultaneously shoots several levels of cells and backgrounds and it gives depth to the film. This is when that became... Nobody, yeah, this is
1: when he invented that. Yeah, he
0: invented that. And so he knew that people would go to it just for the spectacle of seeing that, just like people did with Avatar. Well, again, but but this
1: is an animated movie. I mean, you know, animated movies weren't necessarily huge box office grocers. I mean, you know, they mostly
0: thought of him as a children's, you know, he makes movies for children.
1: Yeah, and there's a long line of people who know they have a great idea and are visionaries and then you know, don't deliver on it. I mean, you know, he he could have overdone it again. Like he was trying to spend an extra $300,000 to fix a scene right at the end. I mean, he could have kept (laughs) going and going and spent so much money that there was no way it was ever going to be profitable. Um, But but luckily he didn't. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that, that Walt and Roy worked well together because they balanced each other out. You know, Walt, like you said, was the visionary and knew he had a great idea and was just willing to spend what it took to get that. But then Roy was focused. He
0: was the realist. Yeah, he
1: he was focused on the numbers, and so he he was able to to rein Walt in when needed. You know, he didn't do it a lot. I mean, Walt definitely did spend a lot to get this stuff going. You know, Roy believed in him and knew he knew what he was doing. But he also knew, hey, you know, there's sometimes maybe we can't spend that. Right. So and, and so and then, but after the success of this movie, then the studio just kind of. You know grew, I mean, it just blew up. It, it became the place everybody wanted to work because not only did they have Mickey, but now they're making these incredible, you know, animated yeah, Oscar films. winning films that are technologically advanced. And, and every animator wanted to work there, yes. I mean, this is kind of you know, Walt's legend really starts growing here,
0: yeah. So, uh, this is so that was 1937, 1938. Using the money from Snow White, they, um, and then of course, looking forward toward Pinocchio, they spent, uh, a good chunk of change building Disney studios and they purchased a 50 acre lot in Burbank for the studio. And, um, so <laughs> it said that Walt had something to do with, he helped the design design almost every little aspect of the studio. So they had like underground electricity. They had they had underground tunnels to get from building to building in case there, were, there was bad weather. They didn't want to slow down the animation process at all.
1: It's like Steve jobs. I mean, these, These, you know, there's a lot of correlations between the two of them of being visionaries. But, but Steve Jobs did this. I mean, he he completely designed Pixar's headquarters. You know, for little things of to create, you know, chance meetings that you know everybody had to walk through a a central atrium. The new Apple building that they finally opened, you know, he designed that as well. And every little detail meant something. Kind of a a similar thing here.
0: Yeah, they said that Walt even helped pick the chairs. So, it was. He had quite a heavy hand in it. So, also at this time, Walt and the composer... The composer. The composer. Walt and the composer, Leopold Strokowski, agreed to collab on this new project that Walt wanted to work on, which was Fantasia. Fantasia. Yeah. So, it was, um, again, setting up another just di- I- iconic Disney Yeah, ground. and again, and
1: doing something different of having a, a, or an orchestra... Film a score for a movie,
0: exactly, you know,
1: and and have
0: and pairing those two things that at the time, like now we think about you know animation and music, and we're like, oh, this is very natural, but that's because those films are Disney came up with that idea, right? So, right. exactly, it that the reason why we have that is because of him. Also, in 38, uh, Flora Walt's mom died. So, on a personal note, it's a very sad year, but 1939, this is when the Big thing happens for Walt and they win the Academy Award for Snow White. So it's actually kind of weird that it skipped a year, but he won. So he won a, and they have a unique casting for this. You can go online and check it out at the Oscar for the. Right. This so
1: he basically won a special Academy Award. So they, oh, right. they, 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 they uh, around this time, you know, Walt inquired about whether it would be eligible for the Academy Awards. And they kind of came back and said, yeah, it could be eligible, but, it, you know, we'll, we're going to do like a special. Kind of category for it, right?
0: Well, they wanted, they were considering it for best film, but right, they they eventually did give it its own special Academy Award, and so it is a full size Oscar with seven miniature Oscars going downstairs right next to it. So uh, again, it, th- and so is, what?
1: So was it given like best animated movie, or it was just giving its own Oscar for uh, like technological advancement and things? It,
0: so it was given the special award. Um, yeah, it was just giving a given a special award. I didn't, I didn't write down what it, what exactly it, they called it, but um, again, it was it was a unique Oscar, and this has only been done as far as I found one other time, and it kind of cracked me up. The other time that they did this was for a ventriloquist, and uh, he had a dummy. His dummy's name was Charlie McCarthy, so they made an Oscar out of wood to. Um, give to him
1: yeah the, the oscar was just an acknowledgement for his special achievement
0: that really wraps up the 30s they ended on a really nice high note with snow white and again it just shows you how great the, the disney company is doing now you do have to keep in mind that world war ii is going on in the background and so when we do disney decades uh, the 40s, we will be talking about that because Disney has to kind of switch a little bit of gears here.
1: Right. Yeah. So the 30s, they they kind of went through the depression, you know, which was another interesting thing. How Snow White did so well, it kind of came out of that depression era. And like you said, I mean, the the Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf kind of became a song for people to to kind of you know embody them. You know, Snow White, it there's that magic that that kind of people. You know, lack during that depression era, and I think that's probably also what drove people. There was good timing, and that's kind of what drove them going back to the theaters and everything. But you're right. You know, upcoming in in the 40s, you have World War II, and that kind of derails the company a bit. And we'll get into that of how you know Walt had to shift gears a little bit for you know what they were what they were doing, and they started you know, creating some things for the government, uh, and it did help them a bit. But yeah, it, it is interesting of how. You know, throughout history, the historical events kind of do play into what's going on at the time of, um, you know, how you come out of the Depression, uh, the country starts growing again a little bit, the Walt Disney Company is growing again, and it kind of is all linked into that. Um, So so it's really interesting. But yeah, I mean, overall, the 30s were a a pretty important decade. Like we said, uh, you know, his one daughter was born, he adopted his other daughter. um, And they never liked to kind of... Acknowledge that she was adopted she was always their their daughter I and mean, they treated them both equally as if they were truly both their own yeah um, you know Walt kind of you know bristled at that of somebody mentioning that she was adopted
0: well I think part of the reason why he did that and he bristled at the fact that people even talked about the fact that she was adopted is I, I ran across this the other day that it was like early 1900s before adoption was actually looked upon favorably. Before that, people looked at adoption like you're taking in another person's kid and like they had it there was a negative connotation with that, which we don't have in our society today. So maybe he tried to kind of hide that a little bit because he didn't want that stigma to be attached to her because he was afraid that, that would follow her. So right. I, don't know. I mean it's a possibility. Right. I'm just but speculating. it was yeah
1: but it wasn't like he was ashamed of it. You know, right. but you're right. He he was kind of I think probably looking out for her more Than anything, um, because yeah, he wanted her. He didn't want her to have that stigma because he, you know, he loved her like he was his own, her own, his own daughter. Yeah, you know exactly. So yeah, and then like we said, and then you know at the end of the decade, they they finally get Snow White made. Walt's kind of vindicated. (laughs) Their financial (laughs) problems go away for the time being, uh, and it really looks like you know Walt Disney, you know, is kind of this this great animator that uh, that everybody wants to work for. So
0: exactly. So it's been. Yeah, so I, I think fun. yeah, so the
1: 1930s I think was a was a pretty important we, decade. So we
0: don't want to call it. It wasn't the Roaring 20s; it was the Roaring 30s for Disney. Yeah, that's
1: true. <laughs> that's true. So, and then we'll uh, be doing the 1940s here, probably, hopefully not as long in, right. be, in between. In between the 20s and I'm 30s, as I'm thinking that
0: probably did. pretty soon we can start combining the, some of the decades together and just doing two or three decades in one one episode too, because I mean for the most part i think that after the company gets started it's just what movies did they make in those decades and then the bigger events. I was to
1: say i think a lot of things happen, i mean especially once they start getting into the theme parks and and everything. Oh, yeah, there, yeah. there's well, we could there's slow a lot more again, yeah the other yeah, movies and everything. so we'll but we'll definitely uh, continue this series uh, in a couple of weeks. so want to thank everybody again for listening. Make sure you um, Give us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, they mean a lot. They do. So, uh, and check us out on Facebook or Instagram where we are at Enchanted Ears Podcast. And we'll catch you here next week. And remember, have, have a magical, magical
0: day. day.